Thanks for listening to our podcast. The following is a ministry of Orchard Bible Church in Centennial, Colorado. Please join us on Sunday mornings. For more details, visit us online at orchardbible.org. Good morning. My name is Lars. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's so good to be with you on this beautiful Resurrection Sunday. Thank you, music team. A couple of years ago, Business Insider conducted a survey of the most significant events in recent history in terms of their impact on people. One of those events that ranked very high took place back in January of 1984. It was a shareholder meeting in Cupertino, California, when Apple executives Steve Jobs and John Scully presented the new Macintosh personal computer. People that were surveyed noted that event, both for what happened on that day, but more significantly, how their lives would change so dramatically as a result. Well, today across the world, of course, Christians gather to remember and celebrate an historical event 2,000 years ago, something that dwarfs the significance of the Macintosh and any other event in human history, not only for what happened on that day, but how our lives are so fundamentally changed as a result. And that, of course, is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And though we cannot interview people who were first impacted by this event, like we can with those at the Apple shareholder meeting, we do have an historic account of how those people responded in the book of Acts. When the Apostle Peter revealed to his fellow Jews the meaning of the events that had just occurred, and ultimately what it means for us this morning. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, it's no problem. I'll be reading the, the scripture as we go along. And first we're going to examine this revelation that Peter gives them about what happens. And then secondly, how the people responded to that revelation. And then finally, what were the results of their response to this revelation. And as we will see, because of the resurrection of Jesus, everything is new. Let's start reading in verse 22 of Acts chapter 2. And just a little background here for the moment that we're going to read about. Jesus had been executed on the cross, of course. He was laid in a tomb. And then on the third day, Easter Sunday, he was resurrected. And after instructing his apostles and appearing to many people, 40 days later, he ascended into heaven. And Peter is now explaining to his fellow Jews what just happened. So first, what is this revelation? Let's start reading in verse 22. Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So, first we see that this revelation is regarding the person of Jesus. He was from Nazareth, a genuine human being. But 
unlike anyone they had ever seen. He did mighty works and miracles and taught with great authority, demonstrating he was from God. And this Jesus was crucified and killed by evil men. In fact, some of Peter's audience here were instrumental in bringing Jesus to his death. But amazingly, Peter says, this was God's plan all along, that his Messiah would die. And as, because as we will see later, this is how God provides salvation for the human race. God the Son, the perfect man, died in the place of sinners. This is how God would solve the fundamental problem of humanity. As we sung about the brokenness the sickness, death, separation from God, all resulting from our sin, all that is solved by this plan executed 2,000 years ago in Jesus. So this was not a series of unfortunate events. God was not surprised. So this revelation is about Jesus, who he is, how he lived, and how he died. And also, according to God's plan, how he was resurrected. Verse 24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Death could not hold him down. Let me just zoom out for a second. Look at the world today. Consider what's happening. Look inside your own heart. Well, there is certainly beauty, some measure of order, Simple pleasures to be found. We can see the remnants, in other words. We can see the the remnants of the original goodness of God's creation out there and in here. But something is fundamentally wrong, isn't it? Anyone can see this. The brokenness, the, the social injustices, sickening, the bitter conflict, global unrest, strained relationships with Loved ones, pain, sickness, the cycle of futility. This is all the result, the Bible tells us, of the fall of the human race. We human beings as a race deliberately rejected God's rule over us and went our own way. And ultimately, its end is death. No matter what we do, we cannot escape it. We can't beat it. Listen, Jesus beat it. He was victorious over all of it. And that is good news. We can't do it ourselves. Only God could do it for us. And in his immeasurable love and mercy for this rebellious race, he did just that. Jesus is the only way back to God and all of his blessings, now and in eternity. And the way he did this is through his death on the cross and the victory in his resurrection. Peter reads from their Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, to show them this resurrection was also part of God's plan. Verse 25, For David says, this is, he's referring to the Hebrew king David, whom they all would know. David says concerning him, that is the promised Messiah, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or hell, or let your Holy One see corruption. Then Peter continues in verse 29. Brothers, 
I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. But he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus that God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. So Peter says when King David wrote this a thousand years ago, he wasn't talking about himself. He's still in a tomb. His body is still in a tomb, they could see. But he was talking about his great descendant, he was promised, namely the Messiah, Jesus. So Peter is showing the Jews here that they could examine their own scripture and see that this is what was promised. And now they had seen his resurrection with their own eyes. Peter continues now in what happened after that. Verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out. Let all the house of Israel therefore know, verse 36, for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Peter caps off this revelation with what happened to Jesus after the resurrection. He sent his Holy Spirit, also promised in their scriptures. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God who applies the effects of what Jesus has done to us personally and individually. And this is our prayer for you right now, everyone who is listening to this, that you understand the significance of this event and be personally changed by it. This is not just good news for them. It's good news for us. And it's good news for you. So Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, then ascended back to heaven, where Jesus the Son shares the glory of God himself. Note the clear deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus shares the name of God, Lord. He shares the glory and place of God, his throne in heaven. He shares the authority and rule of God. So let's recap what Peter has revealed about who this is and what has happened. This is about Jesus, God the Son, Lord and Messiah. He came from heaven, which was demonstrated by the way he lived, the way he taught, the signs he performed. He died on a cross, was laid in a tomb, and was resurrected to life. And although Peter's audience had a hand in his death from a human perspective, this was all according to God's plan. He poured out his Holy Spirit. He ascended to the place of authority, honor, and glory of God that's the revelation, also called the gospel, which just means good news. Good news about who Jesus is and what he has done. So that's the revelation. Second, how did they respond to this revelation? Look at verse 37. I'll read it. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So, we first see conviction and confession. Okay, they were convicted. They were cut to the heart, it says. They realized their lives were contrary to God. We're supposedly God's people, the Jews. But we rejected our Messiah. We got him killed. What have we been doing? They realized this Jesus was not only their Messiah. He is Lord of the universe, their creator. This hits on the fundamental implication of the resurrection of Jesus. Both then 
and for us today. Why Easter is such a big deal to Christians. So this is why. If Jesus was not resurrected, all of this, and I mean all of it, is meaningless. Christianity is a farce. His death accomplished, in fact, nothing. There will be no second coming. All the claims of Jesus made during his life are not, in fact, true. I'm wasting your time, and I've wasted most of my life. However, as these people realized, if Jesus was resurrected, then all of it is true. Jesus is Lord, as he claimed. And nothing, therefore, nothing could be more important than your relationship with him. So they ask, what should we do? This is the question anyone should ask when they encounter this revelation and understand what it means. We're in the wrong as it relates to God, our creator. We've been living in a way contrary to him. We've been going against the grain of the universe. They humbly acknowledge and confess that truth. We're not right with God, and neither are we by default. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short. We're in the wrong with God. Our eternity is on the line. What shall we do? Peter said to them, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 41, So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So, after being convicted, confessing that they were in the wrong with God, they repented, which just means they completely changed direction as it relates to their former way of life. Turning to Jesus as Lord. Someone has said, repentance is driving with the city of sin in the rearview mirror. You've turned from living for yourself to following Jesus. And hand in hand with repentance, it says they received the word. It's an allegiance or trust in Christ. Both meanings are there. It's a change of allegiance. The God in your world, as it were, changes. Saying yes to Jesus means saying no to giving your life to anyone else or anything else, ultimately. Receiving his word is trusting in him and what he's done in his death, on the cross, and his resurrection, which accomplished all this good news, this restoration to God and his eternal life. So it's putting your whole weight on Jesus and what he's done. This, these Jews trusted in Christ in this revelation about what he did on the cross and his resurrection so that their sins against God were forgiven. So, this is much more than merely saying, yeah, that sounds right. Uh, I agree intellectually with what you're saying about Jesus. No, it's much more than that. It means he's my savior. He's my Lord. He owns me now. My life from now on is all about him. Full allegiance to Jesus. That's what they did. One of our pastors, Paul, is a firefighter. If you call the fire department, you're in urgent need of help, aren't you? And if you call in time, they come and rescue you and your possessions from danger. And then when they leave, you try to go back to normal. 
You don't have an ongoing relationship with the fire department. You hope you never need him again. And you go back to leading your own life. As Jeremy Treat says, some see Jesus as a heavenly firefighter to call on when you need help. This Jesus exists to rescue you from trouble so you can go back to leading your own life. That's not the response we see here. And that's not the response any believer that we see in the scripture. Jesus is not a ticket to heaven so you can go back to normal. He's not an escape from the fire and once that's done, you go on with your life. No. If you trust in him as Lord and Savior as these Jews did, your allegiance to him is absolute. Absolute over family members, over political parties or affiliation, over national or racial identities, over any other allegiance. You are now all about him. Jesus as Lord is your new normal as a Christian. That's how they responded. And then, it says, they respond with baptism. They repented, they trusted in Christ with full allegiance, they were baptized, which is a sign of that allegiance. It's like a wedding ceremony, as it is to a marriage. At my wedding ceremony, about 22 years ago, I was announcing to God, my family and to my friends, I'm married to this woman, Laura. A baptism is like that. It's an announcement to God, family, and friends. I'm connected to this God. I've pledged absolute allegiance to Jesus Christ, and I follow him. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. And that's what they did. That's how they responded to this revelation. Third, and now finally, what were the results of their response to this revelation? A summarizing statement of the results would be to say that everything is new. Before reading further, we've already seen a couple of the results. First, a new relationship with God. Their sins against God were forgiven. That great barrier between his unapproachable holiness, which the Bible makes clear about, and our own sin, which is incompatible with that holiness, that barrier was removed. The guilt for their sin, the punishment for their sin, had been borne instead by Jesus in his death as a substitute on the cross. And now the benefits of his victory over that and his resurrection were theirs. They personally owned it. When that Macintosh computer was displayed for the first time, no one said, well, that's amazing. That's going to change the world as we know it, and I'm not going to get one. They all bought in. Much more significantly, these people went all in with Jesus. His victory became their victory. God, who was their enemy and their judge, turned into their heavenly father. So a new relationship with God. Second, they had a new heart. In the Bible, the concept of heart is not the physical beating organ, but it means the source of your desires. It's your center that drives the way you think and how you make your decisions. That center is regenerated by the Holy Spirit into something brand new. Elsewhere in the Bible, it's called being born again, which we sung about, or becoming a new creation. A new heart means new desires, new likes and dislikes. Things you used to like, you now abhor. Things you never thought about before, are now top of mind. New priorities. 
Okay, things they didn't think about before. We see these things in verse 42. And they devoted themselves, these new believers, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And all who believed were together and all had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So a new relationship with God, a new heart with new priorities, like learning and obeying the apostles' teaching, learning more and more about this Jesus and what he's done and what he will do. How can my life be now aligned to him? Fellowship with other believers, sharing with one another, serving one another, loving one another, breaking bread, taking the Lord's Supper together, remembering the accomplishment of Jesus' death as he commanded, and prayers together, worship and song. All these new priorities were in the context of a new community they had, the church. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. The result of responding to this revelation is not, oh, just me and Jesus. This idea is unfortunately very prevalent in America, and it's not biblical. People viewing their faith in Christ as something distinct from the local church is an idea completely foreign to the New Testament. True believers desire this new community and are involved in the local church. So, the results are these. New relationship with God, new heart, new priorities, new community, and finally, a new mission. Verse 47, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And if you're a Christian, you know this, that once you've been made new, you cannot wait to tell others about it, especially loved ones, that they might respond and be saved. So one of these results is a new mission we have. And we see in verse 41, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's a lot of people. Can God do something like that today? We can't, but God can. Zechariah 4, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This was a sovereign work of God the Holy Spirit on that day in Acts chapter 2. And we pray for the same thing today. And any time it happens, whether it's three people or 3,000 people, it's never by might or by strategy or clever argument or skilled persuasion by a preacher. Never. It's always a work of God, the Holy Spirit, that anyone responds like this to the gospel, which is why we pray fervently for it. I'll close with this. Derek Thomas writes about George Whitfield, a famous evangelist who preached in Great Britain and America in the 18th century. And the Holy Spirit was working mightily. And one time he was preaching to a group of coal miners in Bristol who were basically being treated like animals. They had very little food, were given little warmth. And thousands of men, these miners, gathered around Whitfield when he came to preach. He says, a sea of coal-blackened faces arrayed before him as he preached this good news about Jesus and his death and resurrection. The Spirit moved and the miners were pierced to the heart and when they heard about this love and mercy of God toward them in Christ and what he had done, they began to weep. And white lines appeared on their coal-blackened faces as tears cut furrows down their cheeks. 
Many came to Christ that day as the heavens were opened in response to this revelation about Jesus Christ. Oh, might that happen in our day. Do you pray for that, brothers and sisters? Maybe you're listening to this and the Holy Spirit has cut into your heart. Maybe you realize you too are not right with God. We're never, by default, right with God. You too need to be restored to a loving, life-giving relationship with Him. And there's one way to do so. Respond as they did. In verse 39, Peter says to these Jews, For the promise is for you and for your children. That's the Jews. But then he says these beautiful words. And for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. All who are far off. That's you. That's me. Turn from yourself. Turn from your sin to Christ. Receive him as they did. Trust in him. Lean your weight and your future and everything fully on to Jesus. His death and glorious resurrection life will be yours. Your sins will be forgiven. Your relationship with your creator restored. Your heart born again. And everything be made new. Would you please stand with me as I pray and the music team comes up for a closing song. Our Father, we thank you for this glorious truth of the resurrection of the Son of God. We thank you for the victory and validation and justification of all that he claimed and all that he accomplished he would do in his death. We thank you for the new life he's given. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit, even right now, work on the hearts of those who do not have this relationship with you, that they might turn from themselves, realize their sin, and realize the incredible love and mercy that you've shown them and all of us in the cross of Jesus Christ. May they be saved for his sake, we pray, for the glory of Jesus. Amen.